This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly sermon podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's sermon. Happy New Year! There you are! Well, I'm so glad you're here this morning. And as uh, Bob has already pointed out, uh, your attendance is perfect this year. So um, that's a great thing. You are one for one. And um, we're going to have a great time this morning. Uh, I'm very excited to be able to speak to you this morning about the subject that I'm going to talk to you about. For those of you who are new to New Life, um, you can join with the rest of us and open up your program and pull out uh, a a full sheet of notes that's folded in half. And uh, it's called, uh, I think it says Sermon Notes at the top or something like that, New Life Notes. And uh, it's got some fill-in-the-blank things, and that'll help you walk your way through what I'm going to say over the next few minutes. We are in a series of sermons called Pursuing Spiritual Excellence. And it's really, it's, it's more like a case study, because it, it revolves itself around one of, one of the Bible's more famous characters. In fact, there are people in our audience this morning who are named for this particular person. His name is Daniel. And so here we are some 3,000 years later almost, and people today still name their sons after this Bible character. And uh, as we study his life, perhaps as much or more than anyone else in Scripture, Daniel illustrates the concept of pursuing spiritual excellence because he started from a very young age and actually never took a break from that. For as long as he lived, he really pursued spiritual excellence in his life. And so it's kind of like a case study. And as we walk through it, we're going to learn a lot. Last week, we talked about becoming spiritually resilient people. Noting that there are going to be setbacks that that all of us are going to encounter. And, And it's not whether a setback comes into our life, but it's how we respond to that setback that determines whether we become a person of spiritual excellence or whether we tend to drift and wander from the God who gave us life and before whom someday we will stand. Spiritually resilient people have wonderful habits that they build into their life. And so that's what we talked about last week. Now what I'm going to talk to you about this morning is is a similar topic, only it's got a little bit different twist to it. I'm going to talk to you about becoming spiritually dependent today. And I can tell you right away that one of the biggest dangers in speaking about this subject is the fact that its answer and its solution is so simple that it's very easy for us to sit in the audience and go, okay, duh, I can't believe I went to church to hear that. You know, I was teaching a class on Thursday night, and one of the students in the class on Thursday night raised her hand and said, you know, The amazing thing about Christianity is when you think about it, it's actually really simple. And it really is. And what I'm going to say to you this morning is really, really, really simple. And because it's that simple, many of us seated in this audience this morning have probably zipped right on by it and have missed one of the most life-changing principles that could be a part of our life. And that is how to become a spiritually dependent person. So having said all of that, let's take a look at where we're going to go this morning. Let me give you a backdrop 
Because here's some things you just need to know about life. Number one, all of us are going to encounter numerous impossibilities in life. That's just part of living here on planet Earth. The story of, of no one's life is they were born, everything went well for them, and they died. Nobody ever lives that life. Not even Jesus lived that life, and He lived this life perfectly. So we're all going to encounter situations that on the surface seem to be absolutely impossible. Some of us will encounter those in 2008. Probably all of us will encounter situations in this coming year that seem very, very difficult and, and some will even border on the impossible. That's part of life. The second uh, principle here is this. Every miracle begins with an impossibility. You know, that's an important concept for us to know and to understand. Every miracle begins with an impossibility. Now, all of us want miracles to take place in our life, but we would certainly like for them to take place without that first part. Okay? Don't put me in any impossible situations, but do what's impossible in my life anyway. And it's important. Every miracle you read about in Scripture, whether it was, whether it was Jesus healing a man who was blind, you know, he started out blind. Most of us, well, I'd love to be healed by Jesus, but not be sick. That'd be a great thing, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, we have to understand that, that these impossibilities are actually settings for miracles. And that's why principle number three is this. And that is these impossible situations provide the setting for God to do His greatest work. And that's the real message of hope that I want all of us to get right at the beginning of this year. I know some of us seated in the audience this morning are facing some very, very large challenges. Some of us are facing very large health challenges in this year. And I'm not talking about a cold or, or something else. I'm talking about very serious health challenges. Some of us are facing some very significant employment challenges. Others of us are facing very significant retirement challenges. Some of us are facing significant marriage challenges. Some of us have teenagers that we're not sure what to do with. Okay, But the deal is, in this year, even right now, many of us have some of these very, very tough situations. Now the deal is, you can just grit your teeth and kind of grind your way through it and, and, and kind of hang on and white-knuckle the thing and, and hopefully make it through. Or you can learn to become a spiritually dependent person and take a lot of the stress out of life. And of course, I would encourage you to do the latter. So let's take a look at how that works. First of all, one of the reasons that we... we um, God does His greatest work in those impossible situations is because when God works in situations that are kind of ordinary or normal, we don't usually chalk it up to Him, do we? No. When something happens that could just be human, even if God was the one who did it, we tend to think, oh well, lucky me, lucky him, lucky her. Okay? So, uh, oftentimes God has to put us in situations where we know it has to be Him before we actually recognize that it is Him. And then the second reason why God is able to do His work in these situations is because of this. We tend to be much more dependent on God in impossible situations, right? 
When we encounter something very, very tough, it's amazing how much more we pray. It's amazing how much more we go to church. It's amazing how much more we will talk with other people who are spiritually inclined. It's amazing how much more open we are to God. Now, the sad thing is, if those are the only times that we're open to God, what do we force Him to do in our life? Take us from one scary situation to another one, right? Because God will do anything He can to get our spirit open to Him. And so the deal is, if the only time we're open is when we're scared, then stand by to be scared for the rest of your life. Okay? So let's talk about this spiritual dependence, and let's go straight to the scene here in Daniel chapter 2. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His mind was troubled, and he could not sleep. So the king summoned the magicians, enchanters, sorcerers, and astrologers to tell him what he had dreamed. Interesting little side note here. This guy thought he had every base covered. Some kings would only have enchanters. Some kings would only have astrologers, right? Some kings would only have sorcerers. Look what this guy, he had magicians, he had enchanters, he had sorcerers, and he had astrologers. Okay? He thought he had every single base covered, and he wanted them to tell him what he had dreamed. And when they came in and stood before the king, (coughs) he said to them, I've had a dream that troubles me, and I want to know what it means. Then the astrologers answered the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will interpret it. You know, this king did what most of us do. When we encounter an impossible situation, we look to the experts. And I know that that's really human, and that's really normal, and so forth. Um, That's not really the best way to do it. He went to the experts, and the experts said, no problem. You give me the problem, I can solve it. And for the most part, many of us walk through life as if the problems and the solutions are are found all around me. All I have to do is look for them. All I have to do is ask the right people. All I have to do is bring the right resources into play, and it's all there for me. And because most often we tend to look this way instead of this way, we tend to find answers that are humanly generated and not divinely generated. Okay? So he said, I've got a problem. They said, we can help. Now let's go on and see what happens. The king replied to them, this is what I have firmly decided. If you do not tell me what my dream was and interpret it, I will have you cut into pieces and your houses turned into piles of rubble. Nice guy, right? (laughs) And you thought you struggle with job security. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But if you tell me the dream and explain it, you will receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. So tell me the dream and interpret it for me. The astrologers answered the king, there's not a man on earth who can do what the king asks. By the way, would you say that's a pretty good statement of impossibility? Anybody, anytime somebody says there's not a man on earth who can do that, that's probably an impossible situation. No king, however great and mighty, has ever asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or astrologer. What the king asks is too difficult. No one can reveal it to the king except the gods, and they do not live among men. Would you underline that last part? 
No one can reveal this to the king but the gods. And what was the assumption that they made? And the gods do not live where? And But what is the message of Christmas? Emmanuel, which means God with us. Because they started from assumption, from an assumption that wasn't true, it led them to a conclusion that wasn't true. And yes, the gods don't live among men, but the one and only God does. And we'll see how completely that changed the story. But right away you can see that these guys were in deep trouble. Now, I want you to know that there were probably many other Jewish experts who were part of this group of the magicians, the astrologers, the enchanters, and so forth. Because they were kind of like, what's the old statement? When in Rome, do as the... Yeah. So they figured, when I was... In Jerusalem, and I was a Jew, I go to the temple and I worship God. Now that I'm in Babylon, then I'll go to the temples here in Babylon. And in, in Jerusalem, they honored prophets. In Babylon, they honor astrologers. So be it, I'll be an astrologer. But there were four guys who just didn't do that. And it's really, it's really interesting. The four guys became spiritually dependent and therefore successful in life, and all the other Jewish guys that just sort of kind of melted in with the culture and decided they would do whatever was popular and whatever the king liked didn't work out so well for them. So here's the next part. This made the king so angry and furious that he ordered the execution of all wise men in Babylon. If there's ever a day when you want to sound dumb, it was that day, right? Exactly. So the decree was issued to put the wise men to death, and men were sent to look for Daniel and his friends to put them to death. Now this is kind of interesting. The king issues this decree, but not all of them were given the opportunity to come in and and to have an audience with the king. When Arioch, the commander of the king's guard, had gone out to put to death the wise men of Babylon, Daniel spoke to him with wisdom and tact. You might want to underline that too. It's for free, okay? It's not really in our notes. But you know, when you walk with God, He blesses you with the wisdom and a tact. That's just wonderful. And oftentimes, I encounter people... I remember one time talking with a lady, and these within the first 30 seconds of meeting her, you know what she said to me? My spiritual gift is bluntness. So get used to it. I want to say, dear lady, that is not a spiritual gift. Nowhere close. Nowhere close. Going on. So he asked the king's king's officer, why did the king issue such a harsh decree? Arioch then explained the matter to Daniel. At this, Daniel went into the king and asked for time so that he might interpret the dream for him. Now I want you to see, this is all under a section that's called misjudged and condemned. That's a really important thing to understand because I want to give you a couple of observations. Observation number one would be this. Spiritually excellent people will often be lumped together with those who are not spiritually excellent. Have you ever been lumped together with, with people that 
you kind of didn't want to be lumped with? Oh yeah, you're from that family, huh? Okay. Yeah. yeah. Or, oh yeah, you're a Christian. You're one of those Bible-toting Jesus freaks, huh? Somewhere along the line, they've run into somebody that had a 90-pound reference Bible that they just beat everybody to death with. And so anybody from that point on that claims to be a Christian, they think is one of those people. Now here's Daniel, who is obviously a spiritually excellent person and, and has nothing to do with astrology and nothing to do with magic and nothing to do with any of these other things. And yet, from the king's perspective, he's just one of the gang. Some of us, maybe most of us, have sometimes been lumped in places we don't deserve. That's observation number one. Observation number two is really important one, and that is if we ask. God often will provide the opportunity for us to live in such a way that people will notice the difference. By the end of this story, the king understands that Daniel and his buddies are not like all the rest of these guys. That's really important. Sometimes, instead of complaining, oh God, why did they lump me in? By the way, it wasn't too many years ago that it wasn't really cool to be a pastor because of people like Jimmy Stewart, Jimmy, no, not Jimmy Stewart, Jimmy Swaggart and and, uh, all those guys. And by the way, just about a year or so ago, the whole Ted Haggerty thing, I'm sure many of you, I had a guy meet me back here at the back door of the church the very next Sunday, and he was pale. And he goes, I don't know if I can go to church here anymore. I said, whoa, what's up? He said, isn't this new life? And isn't that the name of that church where Ted Haggerty was? I can't go to a church like that. Yeah, it's just so interesting how easily we get people lumped and grouped together. But the deal is, if instead of complaining about that, if we will ask and say, God, I'm not asking that You would change this in my life immediately. But what I am asking is that You will give me the opportunity to live in such a way that the people who are putting me in this group will eventually see I don't belong there. That's a great thing to do. And so that's what God's going to give Daniel the opportunity to do Uh, because Daniel goes in and talks to the king. Now let's move ahead to the next part of the story. So then Daniel returned to his house and explained the matter to his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. He urged them to plead for mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery so that he and his friends might not be executed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. I find it interesting that Daniel was able to go into the king and ask for time, and, and the king didn't seem to be inclined to give anybody time. Did you notice that? It was either tell me what it is or off goes your head. But somehow Daniel walked in and said to the king, King, if you'll give me a little time, I will come back and tell you. You know, God gives grace where we become spiritually dependent. Now let's see a couple of things that happen here. Here's lesson number one about becoming a spiritually dependent person. Spiritually dependent people go immediately to God. I want you to write this down somewhere underneath that point. okay? And that is first resource versus last resort. 
You understand the difference between those two? Spiritually dependent people go to God first. People who are not spiritually dependent exhaust all of their other sources. And I know if you've been a Christian very long, I know you have caught yourself saying this, guess there's nothing left to do but pray. And, and even when you say it, you think, boy, something doesn't sound right about that. And sure enough, it's not right. Okay? Spiritually dependent people go immediately to God. The second, the second lesson I want you to see is that spiritually dependent people go to God as a community. Daniel could have gone and just prayed by himself. He could have gotten on his knees and said, Oh God, the situation is drastic. And the king is going to go out and he's going to execute a bunch of innocent people. Yeah, there are some people out there that, that are guilty, but there are some innocent people too. But you know what Daniel did? Daniel went and got his friends. Now, Jesus addressed a very, very important principle, and I I want to teach it to you this morning. If you've been coming to New Life very long at all, you know that one of the things that we encourage you to do and would like for everyone in the church to do is to belong to a life group. There are many, many, many reasons why we want you to belong to a life group, but I'm going to teach you just one of them this morning. And that is, Jesus taught that when we get together and we pray, that there's a power that happens and and is present when we pray as a group that isn't available to us when we pray just by ourselves. Let me show you how Jesus said it here in Matthew 18. I tell you that if two of you agree about something and pray for it, It will be done for you by my Father in heaven. This is true because if two or three people come together in my name, I am there with them. Now, I I don't know all the logistics of how heaven works. God didn't let me in on all that stuff. But I know I can read, and I know I can understand. That's a pretty simple principle. And that is, God loves it when I get on my knees and pray, but God also loves it when, before I get on my knees, I go get two or three other people and say, would you come and pray about this with me? And as a community of believers, we get on our knees before God and we pray. Daniel somehow understood that principle, and so on the way home, he went by the homes of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah and said, hey guys, we have a major prayer project. Would you come and be on board with me? Now, how does that apply to you? Not only does it apply to you in being part of a life group, because in a life group you have people who will and are eager to pray with you about anything that's going on in your life. It's a natural setting in which you can pray with a small group of believers. But here's how it also applies. It's very easy to sit in an audience and struggle with a problem in your life and not share it with anybody. So who's the only person praying about it? Just you. And one of the great things about being in a life group is there's a setting there where you can begin to open up and you can share what's going on in your life and you can ask people to pray with you. And when that happens... It opens the doors and windows of heaven that will never be open as long as you struggle by yourself. Spiritually dependent people go to God as a community. Now let's see what else happens in this passage. 
The impossible becomes possible. During the night, the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision. Wow! How about that? Lesson number three is this. Spiritually dependent people receive revelation from God that others don't. If you want another word for revelation, you can put the word guidance. You know, Bob talked about what's next on the agenda of your spiritual walk. Maybe it's establishing a time every day where you meet with God. Maybe it's belonging to a life group. Maybe it's a decision that you're going to come to church every Sunday this year. Uh, all, all those sorts of things. Any and all of those things are good and they're great because they open your heart and your life to a level of guidance and revelation from God that you will not have until you take one of those steps or maybe all of them. People who choose to become spiritually dependent have this open means of communication between God's heart and their heart. And Daniel had it. And obviously, a whole bunch of other people did not have that. And, and so that's a very, very important lesson. The impossible becomes possible when we get connected with God. You know, if you look at the mission statement for this church, it says that New Life exists to connect people to God and others. That's the first part of our mission statement. Do you understand why that's really important? To get people connected to God establishes that open relationship between them and God. And then to get them connected with other people gives them that community of believers through which they can connect with God even more deeply. And so that's what was going on in Daniel's life. Now let's see what happens beyond that. Notice the title, Misjudged and Revered. What was the title not, not, a while, not too long ago? Misjudged and what? Condemned and now misjudged and revered. You know, I heard a guy say one time, those who praise us profusely are probably as mistaken as those who criticize us profusely. And one just offsets the other. So Daniel went from being a bum who was going to be executed to a hero. Notice what happens. Arioch took Daniel to the king at once and said, I have found a man among the exiles of Judah who can tell the king what the dream means. Now we're going to talk a little bit, in fact, we're going to talk next week in a sermon called Who's in Charge? And we're going to see the credit that Arioch takes here. And that's kind of a whole fun deal as we kind of go back through this story and take it on to the end of the chapter. But here he brings him in and says, King, this, this is the man right here. This is the Tiger Woods of prophecy. He can do it for you. Okay? And so uh, here's, here's the lesson we can learn from this. Spiritually dependent people will often be perceived to be something they really aren't. And that is exceptional people. I'm continually amazed at how people will look at someone who has done something so simple as just take their life and turn it over to God and seek God every day and build this daily partnership with God. And because they have this daily partnership with God, they have this rock-solid life that no matter what comes against them, they have the strength and the power to persevere through it. And they can do it with kindness and with joy because they have the power of God in their life. And people will look at them like, 
oh my goodness, they're cut out of a different clay than the rest of us. And that's what Arioch thought, and that's what the king thought. Oh my goodness, I'm standing in the presence of a very exceptional human being who somehow has been favored and gifted with things that nobody else gets. And that's just not true. Daniel was an ordinary guy. He just chose to live in an extraordinary manner. If I could could wish for you anything during this coming year, it would be this, that you would recognize that there's nothing you read about in Scripture that isn't available to you as an ordinary person. The great men and the great women of Scripture were ordinary people who chose to live an extraordinary lifestyle. And it wasn't a lifestyle that required talent. It wasn't a lifestyle that required intelligence. It was a lifestyle that required only one thing, becoming a spiritually dependent person. Let's see what happens in the story. The king asked Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, Are you able to tell me what I saw in my dream and interpret it? And Daniel replied, and I want you to see how Daniel replies, No man, enchanter, magician, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he has asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. Now you know what a lot of people would have said at this point? There's a God in heaven who reveals mysteries and He has revealed it to me. But what does Daniel say? He has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the days to come. Daniel recognized that in this story, who he was was relatively insignificant. Who was it that gave this vision to the king? Did Daniel give the vision to the king? No, God gave the vision to the king. Now, the king doesn't know what the vision means. And God's going to reveal what that vision means through Daniel. But Daniel wants the king to know right up front that this vision is from God. It's not from Daniel. And if there's anyone to be praised, it's God and not Daniel. He sets the record straight. And so that's the next lesson of spiritually dependent people. They openly give God credit for everything He does through them. You know why? Daniel recognized what other people didn't. And that is, he was actually just an ordinary person. And how blessed he was to be an ordinary person that God cared about. And that God would do something miraculous through. And what Daniel recognized is, when God did something miraculous through him, it wasn't because Daniel was such a great guy. It was merely because Daniel chose to seek after God. Many of you sitting in the audience this morning have experienced God doing something amazing in your life. It's different for every person. But you know the great thing is, since you signed on with God and you have become a spiritually dependent person, maybe not as dependent as you'd like to be or should be, 
but you have become to some degree a spiritually dependent person. You can point to places and times in your life where you know for sure that God interceded and interacted on your behalf and did something that's inexplicable outside of God working in your life. And it's a great platform for the faith that you have. Now what's really important is that when God works in your life, you don't puff out your chest and go, yep, that's me, spiritual giant. Yeah. No, it's just being spiritually dependent. You know, let me teach you the last lesson as we close. The last lesson is this. Spiritually dependent people become spiritually excellent people. And this is the part that, I, that I'm fearful that you might miss because it's so simple. Spiritually dependent people become spiritually excellent people because they live life in a what? Daily partnership with God. If your life is like mine, every day when you get up, there are probably more things to do in that day than you can fully accomplish before you go to bed at night. Relatively few people in our audience this morning get up and say, golly, what am I going to do in this day? Oh, lucky me. I have a whole day with nothing to do but seek after God. That's not where we live. And one of the easiest things to do is to get up in the morning and let the pressures and the cares and the stresses of this day crowd out partnership with God. <laughs> I was with somebody just a few days ago. And when I was with him, the alarm on his watch went off. And I said, oh, you need to go somewhere? He said, no. I've been struggling staying connected with God. So I set the alarm on my watch to go off at a regular time because every time it goes off, it reminds me to take a moment or two and get back in touch with God. Probably some of us in our audience, the best money we could spend in this year is to go to the local store and buy a Timex that has an alarm function that's easy to set. And just set it and get that reminder. Because spiritually dependent people get up and have this daily partnership with God. It is that easy. It is that simple. But it takes daily persistence. Because all of us have found that it's very easy to squeeze God out and to put Him in the margins of our life instead of in the center. Over the last several weeks, we've used several different word pictures. We've used the concept of our life has an aroma about it. And that aroma just sends off a message to people around us. And it's either a great aroma or it's, you remember the Brussels sprouts aroma, right? Yeah. Okay. 
We've used the fact that our life sends out a, a culture or an atmosphere or a light or a darkness. Well, a great Christian writer has taken the concept of, you know, really everybody's life has a song. And that life song either is one of spiritual dependence upon God in which our life song sings to God and everyone who hears it recognizes that it's God who makes us who we are and what we're supposed to be. Or our life song is about something else. Well, I want you to be challenged. I want you to be inspired and I want you to be encouraged to let your life song sing to God. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information and past sermons, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.